Hello, everybody. My guest today is a successful founder and managing director of an offshore bookkeeping and accountancy leasing business based in Philippines. He knows a thing or two about how to bring significant value to the table, and he's passionate about helping small and medium business owners achieve the financial goals, improve experience and skills so they can take their rightful place on the global market. Please welcome to the show, Scott Trevithan. Thank you, Pete. Lovely to be here. Great to have you here, Scott. I, I hope I said your surname right. Um, many different ways. It's from Cornwall originally, Trevethan, 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 whatever you want to, I don't really mind. Awesome. Now, how's your, how's your morning been so far? Uh, it's been great. been great. Up, up as I do at least six times a week up at uh, 5.25 and uh, done half an hour of exercise. Feel great. So. Excellent, excellent. You know what? You know, I, I originally set up this time, you know, eight eight a.m. as a as a as a window available for people to book for the show, um, because um, of the international, you know, uh, time zones. Obviously, right? People, you know, I've got some guests from US, some guests from um, Europe, and I thought, well, I'm just going to set up, you know, eight a.m. I'm going to set up five p.m. and sorry, uh, three p.m. and and six p.m. for my Saturdays. Um, wouldn't have crossed my mind that it would be in a, uh, be a, uh, somebody over here on, you know, uh, from Australia, just like me, booking in for eight AM. But, uh, but like like a mate of mine says, it's great to get up and get a good look at the day. So uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it gets the get gets the day going, yeah. and um, and actually, I find you know in the mornings when your brain you know is fresh and and you can get more done. So I'm sure we we can have some interesting conversation for the next hour or so. Um, so tell me, uh, obviously you've done many things over your career, um, from, you know, uh, working for a tobacco company to, uh, to, you know, um, trying to open up your cafe to now, you know, being an owner and operator of, of a large, um, offshore accountancy business. Um, what is one thing that you come across through those years as a commonality in business? Because I mean, these are three different type of businesses, right? Yep. Um, I guess a, a big commonality in in any type of business is the ability to take to add value. And I think a lot of people um, forget about that. That's what you need to do to create a successful business. No matter what you're doing, whether you're selling things or selling services, you have to make sure that you're giving value to the your target market. Um, otherwise, they're just not going to buy it. Mm. And I guess the other thing is that you need to tell the world about it as well. So you need to have a good strategy. It doesn't you know, you have the best product or the best service. If you're not telling anyone about it, or then very, very difficult to get the sort of traction and scalability that you need to run a successful business for sure. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that coffee shop that you had. Okay, yeah. That, that's an interesting one. That was like a, a bit of a unique concept, right? You're trying to, run, trying to bring on the market. Can you tell me a bit and tell the listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So this was this was my, you know, I've been an accountant uh, all my career, but this was my like. Um, I think journalists often say that they want to leave the newspaper job, or they don't have a job anymore, but um, and write the great novel. Um, well, accountants want to always, you know, leave the accounting profession and start a business. And this was my this was my 
sort of life change and I thought, right, I'm going to start a, a concept cafe. I'm going to franchise it all around Australia and the world. And it's going to be called Rap City Cafe and it's going to specialise in flour tortilla wraps, um, awesome coffee and breakfasts, but uh, this gourmet fillings and, uh, you know, do really well. And it's a cafe, so how hard can it be, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I went went into uh, Hawthorne uh, in Melbourne in a in a in Glenfrey Road in a in a good busy spot. Uh, got an ex cafe and retrofitted out and got a chef in and did a whole bunch of stuff. And then um, found quickly that the the life of a cafe owner was seven days a week, uh, very very hard work and and often very demoralising when you're sitting there. I think the worst day I had was. Uh, I think I did about $200 for the whole day and you know, just no one was coming in the cafe. It was very, very soul-destroying uh, as well. Um, but we tried a lot. With, we tried to take on my experience in branding and, um, you know, get, get some great concepts through. And, uh, but just putting it all together in the right spot was very, very difficult. And I, and I noticed I was two doors down from uh, a franchise chain called Pure and Fresh. And they were a large multinational uh, franchise chain. Uh, and I noticed about three or four years after I decided that that was an experiment, this was an experiment that wasn't going to work, yeah. uh, they closed too. It's, it's, it, you know, there, there's no guarantees in the hospitality industry, that's for sure. Yeah, well, the hospitality industry is a tough one. I mean, um, I was listening to another podcast the other day about you know restaurants in in america and you know a, a lot of them apparently only make around four percent profit margin yeah. or, or or even less um so it's a tough one and when you have you know uh, such a uh, variable you know overheads uh, with your perishables and and and, and staffing costs yeah that's a, a definitely tough type of business it was something that really colored me uh and and my thinking, uh, because as an accountant, I knew exactly where my margins were, and I knew I could calculate, you know, what I was earning per hour um, based on the profitability of the business and the amount of effort that I was putting through. Most, the vast, vast majority of people who are running small businesses have no idea. Um, and when I went into my greengrocer, who was just a few doors down, I used to have a lovely old bloke. Um, and we sort of were discussing things and I said, geez, you know, I'm not too happy. I'm probably only making about 20 bucks an hour. And he said, that's good money. You know, that's that's something that we should, you know, you should be proud of. That, And I'm like, no, it's not something I'm proud of. It doesn't, you know, justify the return on investment at all. Um, but, but there it was. You know, people just didn't understand what their true value was, the value that they were giving communities and, and, and the uh, consumers in general. Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, it was just really a tough industry to be in because everyone was racing down to the bottom with prices and margins. And I guess they were all, most cafes were, and they still are, lifestyle businesses. Yeah. Now, what are some of the other businesses that you, obviously, you as been an accountant for years, you, you've had many clients from many different industries, right? What are some of the other typical industries that um, see this similar you know, problem with, you know, uh, low profit margins, not very successful as a general rule? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's a broad range of, uh, of, of people and industries will have that low profit margin. Anything in retail, 
generally, you know, they might say oh, I'm going to have a 50% or 100% markup on whatever my goods that I'm selling are. But then when they take everything else into consideration, they're really, you know, you need some good turnover in order to make the, the sort of margins that you really need to justify the investment. Mm. So a lot of retail really, really struggle along that along those lines. And that's why online is doing so well because you don't have the overhead that the bricks and mortar stores have. Um, everything to do with hospitality has always been a, a really hard gig to try, and especially if you're trying to do it legally. So, And when I say legally, I mean pay all your staff the correct amounts and above board. And I, I feel really bad for the people like George Cohen Burris who, and I'm, I'm not saying George was completely uh, you know, guilt-free about what happened with his restaurant chains. But, who is George? You know, they, they were... So George was uh, one of the master chef guys who had a very big restaurant empire uh, in Melbourne oh, okay. and was found to be underpaying his staff massively. So, like, they had to pay back seven or so million dollars in underpayments. Same things that's happened at 7-Eleven and same things that's happened to um, Supergroup and a bunch of other big companies that have just sort of fallen foul of the, the sometimes complex labour laws. But most hospitality, you know, chefs apparently won't work unless you pay them cash or at least some part cash. And that's a very broad generalisation, but it makes it very difficult for the owners if the chefs can then go back down the track and um, ask you to pay them properly what you didn't pay them. So, uh, so, yeah. so that's always, the, there's complicated issues there, but, but they just... If you don't cut those corners, then it's very, very difficult to make ends meet in the hospitality game. So I'd say that's the hospitality and retail are the two key areas that really underperform. Mm. And it's not just a matter of having a, having a great branding, right? I mean, look at example like Jamie Oliver's. You know, he's he's a famous chef and he got a big following. But I know you know his restaurant in Canberra here shut down. Like I think um, beginning of last year. You know. Um, we've we've so. seen that in our Crown Casino here in Melbourne. We've seen a succession <clears> of big names come in. Uh, big name chefs have come in, and obviously they just lend their name to the restaurant, whatever it is that they open up, uh, and then fail. It's even. It's just so. You know, it, unless you can afford to have those super super high prices for your meals. Um, then it's just too hard to to keep the quality up and to pay the staff what you need to pay them and with all the overheads um, and you, and you so, so much subject to the vagaries of what's happening in the economy. When I was running the cafe, I used to notice if the evening before there was some doom and gloom about the all ordinaries, I knew that people weren't going to be coming to get a lot of their breakfasts with us. So they would they would just say, "No, oh, okay, there's a bit of doom and gloom in the economy." I'll make my own breakfast or I'll skip a coffee or I, I'll make my own lunch. Um, so our turnover was dramatically affected by the, the all odds uh, the night before. Quite, quite amazing just the way that it had the effect on the psychology of your consumers. So I think that's, that's the other thing that it really impacts the hospitality industry. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, because that's the first thing that, you, you know, as a consumer, that's the first thing you try and uh, cut down the easy things, right, that that are not really a necessity for your life. Like if it comes down to making a, a scrambled eggs at home uh, to save a couple of bucks because yeah, the economy. And this is why um, often I like to see <clears throat> certain cafes when they have a special zone. I think, I think it's a good thing, you know, like when you have those um, – Bacon and egg rolls and a coffee bundle, like a 
that's like on a special i think that's that's something that you know coffee shops um should have because it's a takeaway and it's uh, something that it's cheap and people will come back for um even at those times quick and convenience is is the key isn't it so you, you know you, you don't want to get a bacon and egg roll and a coffee and then sit down and read the newspaper for half an hour. You just want to grab and go, and that's that's where that's coming from. But when I walk around, I get to see Sydney sometimes. I've been there obviously because of coronavirus, Corona lockdown, I so. But um, and Melbourne CBD and and the the race to the bottom. You know, you can get those sort of deals: uh, a coffee and uh, an egg and bacon roll for you know, $9, $8, it's a crazily cheap prices. And you think, wow, how can they make any money on those? Sure, there's volume, but there's so many cafes that are competing for that market. Um, it, it it sort of just means that, you know, no one's making very good money on it. But yeah, yeah. If, you can get, if that attracts people in and then you can sell them the $20 breakfast. But Yeah, no, that, that's exactly that. That's the angle I was coming from when I'm, when I'm seeing, you know, good coffee shops doing it well when it's a – it's a good intro intro offer. I mean, in any good business, you should have an intro offer or low better offer. Guess them in, and if you do it well, um, then they are more likely to come and actually have a proper breakfast. And vice versa, those that do enjoy having a proper breakfast, they wouldn't buy that bed and break, bed, bacon and you know egg roll, or whatever. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So back to you, Scott. Um, <laughs> what inspired you to you know fiddle with numbers as a career? <laughs> the lack of the ability to do anything else, to be honest. So when I was uh, going to, to VCE or HSC as it was back then, um, I wanted to be a photographer. I thought that I had some good artistic chops and that being a photographer and I wanted to study photography in RMIT. Um, sadly, uh, no matter how I'd morphed my, the direction uh, of my career, always flew back to, you know, what's natural and what's, what's easy for you. And I guess the accounting side of things came very naturally to me, came easy to me, the understanding of those concepts and how to fit together. And no matter how hard I tried, it just pulled me back in. So, uh, yeah, that's, that was pretty much why I do accounting. Um, and, and because it, because I, it's what I'm naturally good at. I guess that's the, mm-hmm. the simple answer. Uh, I'd love it, to be an artist, but you know, I got no. I'd love to be a singer, but I can't sing. So they say, you know, they say um, uh, chefs are artists as well. So if you like cooking, you know, you can be an artist in the kitchen. I can't cook. Either. I'm I'm learning how to cook now, but uh, and it's not something that I've got a great passion for, to be honest. <laughs> That's all right. Everybody's got their own passion and it's important. I mean, if we all had the same passion, I mean, the world wouldn't be very diverse. So it'd be pretty boring for yeah. the same thing. Um, now, what is your success story as a business owner? Obviously, you've been on, on your game for a while. So where are you now with what you do? Um, what do you mean? Where, where am I? Um, well, you've got um, the offshore accountancy business. You also got a... a, a a firm, uh, accounting firm in Melbourne, right? No. So so let me just tell you a bit about the anthology of, of Go Global. So c- currently we run, oh, I run a business called Go Global Bookkeeping and we have uh, 70 accountants at the moment and, and climbing um, who are either employed full-time by Australian accountants or Australian bookkeepers or Australian businesses 
or and we also do bookkeeping services for small and medium-sized businesses as well. So we're sort of providing that bookkeeping service and then a staff leasing, just focusing on the accounting. We're, we're, we're everything to do with accounts. We're all accountants. We love accounting. We, we love the value that we can add to the world through accounting, and that's that's the, the reason for being for that business. But we started that business, um, or I started that business, out of my accounting firm, which I wanted to use offshore labour, and I and I I'd heard about the Philippines as a a great place to find really really talented people. So I went over there and visited, fell in love with the place, not fell in love with the spirit of the place, not the actual place. I mean, it's kind of a dump. Uh, it's very crowded and polluted and uh, very and hot and you know messy. Um, but that said. You know, the, the people there were great and the skills that they can bring are fantastic. So um, started offshoring. We, we built up a team of about eight with my accounting firm. So I had an accounting firm here in Melbourne. Um, sold that over the last couple of years just to focus on what I call my passion project, which is Go Global Bookkeeping, because that's where my heart really was. I guess I, I lost interest in doing the tax returns and really... Um, love the whole entrepreneurial spirit of creating something and, 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 as I say, adding value to a broad range of businesses, not just in Australia, but also in New Zealand and, and soon to be the US as well. So it's very exciting. And it's something that's allowing you to, to make a bigger impact, right? Because it's much more scalable. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, as an accountant, I used to suffer from this because I want to add value to the world. But when I'd see clients, especially the small business clients, and they would come to me around about February or March of the year after the 30th of June. So, um, you know, we're talking about seven, eight months later uh, and then they're giving me their books and they just want me to do the tax return work as quickly as possible. They're not interested in their results really, just just interested in how much tax that they need to pay in, res in respect of that period. Mm. it's incredibly difficult to add value and you feel like you're just working for the tax office with those guys and it's like well really what we need to be doing is giving you proactive advice we need to be making sure that your numbers are right the whole time and that's why i fell in love with before the, the before stage which is the bookkeeping side to make sure that they've got the numbers when they need them to when they need to decide whether to hire someone or to fire someone whether to, to buy a new machine or to um to, to keep the machine that they've got or, or even to buy a new vehicle. It, it's, it shouldn't be a tax-driven question, but that's certainly what the whole accounting industry is started or started to look like um, post-GFC, really. Before that, it was not too bad, but then post-GFC, things changed and uh, people were just interested in accountants doing their, their end-of-year accounts and their tax returns as quickly and cheaply as possible. And I just didn't see that that added enough value. I think a lot of businesses are not taking enough of that proactive approach, looking at their numbers and what, what the numbers really represent, right? What are some uh, key indicators people should look at? Um, well, certainly, I mean, we were talking about margin before, and I, and I think that's definitely a key one. When you look at saying, well, well, how much sales am I making? Everyone knows that. That's, that's something that, you know, you, you live on or, or how much revenue that I've got. Um, but the, to try and put all the costs associated with selling that particular revenue or service is very, very important because that'll tell you the margin that you earn on your product. And then that tells you how much, if you know how much overhead you're actually spending, whether it's rent or whether it's admin staff or whatever the other plethora of overheads that you have on your business, you know what your break-even point is and you know how to then, how much profit that you need to make. 
So then you want to look at things like return on investment. So how much funds have I actually had to put into the business, whether I bought it or whether it's assets that I need to, or that is things or machines or uh, equipment or even, even you know, uh, security bonds for your, your rental, your lease, your premises. How, you know, I've put, in a, I've put in a fair bit of money, including working capital. How much do I need to earn on that money in, and my own time in order to make this whole thing worthwhile? So, the, And they're the sort of numbers that are very easy to calculate and they're very easy to continue to see how they're trending over a year. Um, they're not much good if you're telling them eight or 12 months after the event because yeah. people will always, small business owners will always say, oh, yeah, that's how it used to be, but things have changed now. Um, uh, so, so yeah, you, you know, I think you need to do them a, a lot more regularly, um, and you, but you can only do that if you've got all the numbers in your accounts at the right time. And technology has really allowed us to do that. So, And there are many different examples for the outcome, right? You, you might be somebody you know, listening right now to the show who is looking into starting a business to sell a business. Not everybody starts a business to keep a business, right? You might want to start a business. Wow. Package it up and be able to sell it, right? So, there really needs to be. I mean, really classically, you should never ever start a business without having an exit point to it. But but no one really does. It's like trying to say, yeah, I've I've got an exit point for my marriage. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna marry someone, and you know, we'll be married for X number of years, and then we'll get out of that marriage. No one starts a business thinking (laughs) that it's going to end. But all businesses do end, or they morph and they change into something else. So. Um, no matter how good the business is, you always should have an exit point. I wish, wish, wish more business owners would have that that view of, okay, I just need to maximise the value of this business so that when I sell it in X years' time that I'll get a great return on all of my efforts. Right. So, And also there's nothing wrong with thinking about it as a as – a uh, that being a temporary thing for a couple of years, right? Because like you said, yeah. you might enter a business, you start a business, it's profitable in that current climate over those years. And when it starts to uh, decline, it's time to sell it or, or, or get rid of it and do something new that's more emerging in, in those times, in those newer times, right? Absolutely. And I guess there's two, definitely right, that there's two things that are happening right now that are trending right now that that would be an exception to that rule. And the first one is the lifestyle business. So um, we're starting to see, and I, I think it's the millennials or, or Gen Zs or, you know, that, that don't want the same things as, you know, I, I'm a Gen Xer. My kids think I'm a baby boomer, but that's not true. Um, we're the forgotten generation. Uh, but, the, you know, the baby boomers and the, and the Gen Xers have a certain worldview that, that the later generations don't necessarily have. We're starting to see this trend now of lifestyle businesses where people don't really have an outcome in mind. They want to live life every day. Uh, they want to enjoy They want to make enough money to enjoy their lifestyle. They want to work when they want to work. Um, and they don't really mind that they're not creating value at the end because they're getting value now. Probably, which is okay if you, as long as you've got your investments and superannuation and you've got a fallback plan. And the second point is the gig economy. And we, you know, we're going to hear this much, much more uh, over the next year, probably at, at the out, you know, as we come out of the isolation and, and trying to look at the world economies and where they are. The gig economy was already something that was really, really gathering pace. And that's just where you don't really have a, a job. You don't really work for anyone. You're yeah. a freelancer. You're a gun for hire and you work 
doing what whatever if, if you work from home on in front of your computer you're doing whatever you're doing and it could be for anyone in the world that you're doing it for so again in those people again it's it's very much they might not be doing that for lifestyle it's just well i need to earn x amount so i i'm not going to create a business that employs staff i'm just going to be a freelance person who does one job and then you know if i want to take the day off i can take the day off so it's kind of lifestyle, but I think it's becoming an economic necessity for much of the world to, to be able to do that. Yeah, uh, and with that gig uh, economy, uh, you're talking about things like Fiverr, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Fiverr and Upwork, but 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 it's extending everywhere now um, that you see. And um, I guess Fiverr is a great example of you know a, a great platform that that. Everyone in the world competes, and I guess you've got to then understand that if I, I could be a great graphic designer, which is you know one of the sort of typical gig economy type, or a copywriter, I could be really really good at that. Um, but I'm competing with someone else who's really really good and experienced to that in South America, or in the Philippines, or in India, or in the UK. So not everyone's got the same lifestyle expectations or cost of living, um, and so. Whereas I wouldn't be prepared to take five dollars an hour to do to to apply my craft, um, a lot of people in the world will. So and that's why um, it's it's a difficult thing for those people to do. But I think that, and, and I know I'm sort of jumping around a bit, but this, uh, you know, back in my British American, you know, in my tobacco company days, that that really form this understanding that big companies exist for the benefit of the shareholders and they expect absolute loyalty blood sweat and tears from their employees and that's really the only way that you can progress through a large company but they they exist for their shareholders so that kind of means if there's any sort of economic shock or any merger or anything like that it doesn't matter how loyal or how much blood sweat and tears you've given your organization you can be gone. You can be finished. You can be done. And we've seen this in the current Corona crisis. Um, in in the you know when when things shut down and, and we were very fortunate in Australia to have programs like JobKeeper that that meant that the big companies didn't need to shed the thousands of people that they ordinarily would have. Um, but in the Philippines, that wasn't the case. They don't have that sort of that same sort of thing. So we saw really big companies, the Telstra's, the you know Australian companies, the Telstra's, the Qantas's, the, um, the banks that are all employ thousands and thousands of people in the Philippines, overnight they just cut their services and said, you're all done. Sorry, go home. There's wow. no, no work for you. And those people, there's millions of Filipinos now that are out of work, um, which is quite frustrating for everyone because their call centers, for, I don't know if you've tried to ring Telstra or any other call center, but like, their service capabilities are right down because... Um, their call centers are just non-existent because they've got rid of all of their staff. So ultimately, you know, I think the gig economy and lifestyle businesses are okay when the economy is doing really well and gives you that lifestyle choice. Um, and you don't want to sell your soul. I certainly wouldn't want to sell my soul to a big corporation, um, although that that can be. It, it, there's no such thing as job security, but as long as you understand that you're working for yourself and in, improving your own skill set, making yourself more employable, um, I, I'm, I'm very much happy that I'm running my own business. Being successful running businesses is great, um, but in order to do that, you need to be able to, you know, perform a certain way. So it comes back to you know your physical 
well-being, your mental well-being. So, Scott, how do you look after yourself? How do you keep fit? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the sort of person Vic, that needs to have some sort of uh, crazy goal in mind, or I have been typically doing that. So, um, back in uh, the late 90s, I got into marathon running. And when I say got into marathon running, I've run one marathon, so that means I'm a marathon runner. Um, yep. <laughs> in fact, I ran the inaugural Sydney Marathon uh which was a trial event to see if you could get in the Olympics. And I just missed out by about an hour and five minutes uh, yeah, right. of an Olympic spot, but uh, very happy to have done that Sydney course. Um, that, and, and, yeah, that kind of probably wasn't for me. I'm a bigger bloke. So uh, yeah, I've done lots of other bits and pieces. I think, I think physical fitness has always been very, very important for me to get the most out of my body, to get the, the – and, and it – from a, from a number of different direct directions. So I know that if I drink too much uh, alcohol, if I don't eat properly, then I put on a lot of weight and I don't feel good with myself. And um, I've got a very, I've always had very sedentary jobs. And I think um, sitting in front of the computer for eight, 10 hours a day is um, not the most healthiest of lifestyles. I think uh, uh, the stats are coming out saying that it's the new smoke sitting is the new smoking or it's the new, you know, causing cancers and all sorts of problems. So very mindful of that now, uh, making sure that I eat properly, making sure that I um, get enough exercise. And at the moment it's been really difficult because of the gyms being closed. So I've, I've got myself a pair of, oh, sorry, a set of uh, bands that I now work out with and um, but I am looking forward to the just maybe even the social interaction not that there's that much early in the morning mm. um, of going to the gym again when they open up uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks in Melbourne. Now a typical thing that people come across as a bit of a you know a, stop, a roadblock on the way to start exercising is their motivation right uh, do you exercise only when you're motivated Scott? No, um, I I have what's called a habit-based lifestyle now. Um, so this was something that was introduced to me from a group that I'm part of in the US called Wake Up Warrior. Uh, and it was very much built around, uh, and it's, it's, I think it's quite a popular philosophy at the moment um, in terms of things like making your bed and, and, and you know, doing certain things just by habit. Uh, every morning. So I certainly live my life that way. Um, my bed is made right now and I've done my exercise for the morning because it sort of takes that motivation away from you because motivation is good sometimes and it's not good other times. But if you know that you just do something out of habit, um, then it, it just gets done. So I, to me, it doesn't matter whether I'm training for something specific now or whether I'm just just doing what I do because of habit, at least if I can be consistent about what I do, then I know that I'll get the body results that I need. Excellent. Well, that's what you just said. I'm very happy what you just said because this is exactly the philosophy that I have and that I see as a successful way uh, to approach uh, bringing on a regular healthy active lifestyle. Um, you know, I've been in this for 10 years and you know, the, the word motivation has been thrown around a lot. But like you said, the um, the habit-based focus is what is um, not just the current trend, but it does work. There's also an interesting study about it from uh, the university in uh, on Gold Coast about the habits, power of habits, where they've you know split the groups in and and two they had I think they had uh, 
100 applicants uh, for a study and they were studying, you know, they were giving them a simple task of implementing one new uh, habit each week. And at the end of the study, you know, those participants in both groups, the first group was um, adding on a new habit. The other one was replacing a bad habit with a new habit, uh, sort of similar thing. Um, And both have been able to achieve weight loss, uh, achieve an improvement in their fitness. But what was interesting is when the study finished, you know, after the six months, the study was six months long, after it finished, they came back to all the, all the participants 12 months later. They've seen that they've maintained their result. They've maintained and some even, you know, continued on improving. And it just goes to, goes to say how, how habits are really powerful because when you do implement them, it becomes something that's repetitive and becomes part of what you do day by day and it's not associated with, you know how you, how you feel emotionally. You know how you motivate it. Um, neither neither of those things. It's literally like you're brushing your teeth or you're making up your bed, like you said. And I think I think where people sometimes fall down in habits. I don't know what you've seen, but is that you know you, you can't create a habit overnight, and that because it's called a habit because you um, you know it's something that you just do almost instinctively. Um, and it does take some time to, to, to really ingrain those habits. So, you know, it, it's got to be very deliberate at the start and then it just becomes something that you do. So, um, yep, absolutely. Um, like for me, exercise every day is a mandatory and that's, it's, it's something that I considered as a mandatory and it might just be a, a 30 minute walk, um, or it might be something a bit more intense. Um, hopefully I've got a good balance, but that's why we need people, like yourself, who can guide us uh, in what the way to get the best out of that, but but I've got to do some sort of physical activity every single day. The same way that I've got to make my bed and clean the kitchen before I start work, and um, and and do a few other things. In fact, I've got twelve things that I currently track as what I call sacred habits uh, that I try to do every single day. Yeah, what are those? <laughs> um, <laughs> And and they and they're vastly vary because this is part of our life book program that I'm I'm part of. So it's on a whole bunch of different categories. But there's definitely the the fitness one, um, eating eating right. So eating a good healthy uh, meal for the whole day, um, making sure that you know I I do some sort of form of sales work that I do work on my ninety day plans for my business. So it covers a whole bunch of areas. Okay, so both business and personal. I like it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. And then I, you know, I do other spiritual things. So you know, whether it's read scripture or or pray, um, and then meditation is another key, key one. And I've I've definitely tracked it. You know, ter- in terms of the habits that I've grown, because I don't get a hundred percent of those done every single day. But the ones that I just cannot get by without is uh, my physical fitness one that I've got to do some sort of activity every day, and meditation as well. Now, if I don't get a meditation in, and it can only be, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but if I don't do that, I really find that I'm not my best mentally for the whole day. And I and usually sort of crashes around about that three o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, why why am I sort of a bit sketchy at this point in time? Why aren't I focused? And it's because I didn't meditate all those hours before in the morning. Yeah, right. And you also said, you know, it's mandatory for you. So it's it's mandatory, but it's also a personal responsibility, right? Because um, there's a certain outcome if you don't. I mean, there's an outcome in either case, but one is good and one is bad, right? And if you got if you got you know if you got family, if you got kids, um, if you want to be around for a while, 
then it is a personal responsibility to 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 look after that that, that shell that we live in our body, right? To 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 keep it um, challenged, to keep it um, um, maintained with a certain physical fitness. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the only one we've got. So, um, and and I've never really come across anyone that said, "Yeah, no, I don't want to be more active. I don't want to have, you know, I don't want to. I, I'm quite happy not being able to walk up a flight of stairs, or I'm quite happy being overweight." Um, it isn't it. It's funny. It's, it's just those people for some reason they can't connect that I need to do something every single day, or I need to I need to do regular exercise or movement or something. Um, in order to get the result, if I could, if I could have a magic pill, that would be awesome. But yeah, it comes down to that personal responsibility for sure. Which is, and then it's easy to, for for you, for you and myself to say because we've all been you know active in our life. But um, I do have to say that um, you know people that I've come across that have never exercised, it's definitely not the first thing on their mind to the the, the warned to 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 be more active. It it, it typically comes from like um, the desire to feel. Um, you know, healthier, you know, less heavy. Uh, so the people, typically people come to, to, to fitness professional, the typical answer is what you want, what's your goal. They say, you know, I, I wouldn't mind a bit of six pack or lose a bit of weight. Um, yep. But it's not strong enough. Uh, this Like it's not strong enough. Why? Yep. Um, and, and they typically don't last in the program for very long. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer that you need to have a really strong why, like in the business. You need to have a strong why in your personal well-being and ask yourself, well, okay, well, I want to achieve a bit of six-pack. I want to lose a bit of weight, but why? What is behind that? Well, the reason why is maybe that if you if you do lose a bit of weight, then you will feel uh, more confident about things that you can do. And okay, good. So now you've got uh, you've got a bit you've peeled the onion a little bit, but I typically recommend, you know, going maybe like four levels down and ask yourself again, okay, well, if you feel more, if you could feel more confident as a result of losing a bit of weight, what would that allow you to do? Well, if you feel more confident, uh, you might be now, you know, looking at things to self-actualize yourself even further, whether it's in your hobbies or, or, or your career, right? And, and then you can you can keep on digging, you know what I mean? Like, and but ultimately, this is applicable to anybody that wants to uh, make a big shift in their in their well being in their lifestyle, and make it for a more uh, a healthier one. Is yeah. to truly dig in and find out why, because that is what's going to help you on that journey of building those habits. I couldn't agree more. And for some reason, this has only been something that that sort of relatively come relatively lately come to the before in terms of this, you know, your why is so important. I know Simon Sinek's got a great book on that. Mm. Um, but also, you know, I think if, from the from the fitness perspective and, you know, that we see Navy SEALs type of guys that are talking about that. And one thing that was very, because it was so it was probably introduced to me through Wake Up Warrior um, a few years ago that you really needed to have this incredibly strong why. And, and I guess the reason that you need to have that strong why is because your life is always going to go take twists and turns that you don't understand and that you don't you weren't expecting. I don't think any of us were expecting the sort of shutdown coronavirus that that sort of hit. And from mm. a business perspective, um, if I didn't have that very very strong passion and belief of what I'm trying to achieve for business owners here in Australia, but and and New Zealand, but also 
for my team in the Philippines, if I didn't have that really strong, engaging thing, I, there's, a, there's a number of times where I just think, you know, well, it's all too hard, I'm going to give up. And that's certainly true with our physical fitness, isn't it? So you, if you don't have that very, very strong why, when things go wrong, when you get injured, that's that's always been my scenario. You know, it's like I'm going to do this, I'm going to run this race, or I'm going to I'm going to get fitter, and then for some reason you get an injury that you didn't see coming, and it's all like, oh, okay, it was all too hard. But if you go back to your why, then you can always pick it back up again and and um, and go with it. That yep. just helps you make be more resilient, I think. Oh, absolutely, and helps you those times when the motivation is not there. Um, and any other any other things that you like doing in terms of physical activity? I, I saw I saw you you're snowboarding. Yeah, yeah, love snowboarding. Um, so I, I was always a skier when I grew up. Mum and Dad took me. I was one of those lucky kids that got to do ski school every year for a, a long time. Um, and then I sort of had a bit of a gap. Uh, so I was I'm, I would call myself a competent skier. Uh, and then about 10, 11 years ago, uh, when my kids were getting old enough to go to the snow, I, I thought I'd try a snowboard as something a little bit different. And wow, that blew my mind. I was never a passionate skier, but I'm certainly a passionate snowboarder. I, I just love it. And I was so, so lucky to, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to New Zealand on, uh, it was in the September school holidays. Uh, and so very late winterish type of conditions in queenstown and i thought i'd just i'd do so i just sold my canning practice so i thought i'll give it a heli boarding a go um so i just went down there and booked in and it turned out there was an absolute late season dump of snow and it was red bull type of experience it was the helicopter up on the very edge of mountains with cliffs on one side and incredibly steep powder snow uh in front of us it was the most terrifying thing i did but it was just the most amazing day um, that sounds incredible yeah i wasn't fit <laughs> <laughs> it sounds incredible it's like one of those uh yeah one of those extreme extreme sports videos <laughs> it, it was I, I was saying to the guy there was a cup you know when we were going up in the helicopter to the first run uh, which was amazing. The scenery was beautiful. And, I was, and he was looking a bit nervous and I was a bit nervous. And I said, don't worry, mate, it's not going to be like Red Bull. It's not going to be like where that helicopter sort of just lands with one skid in the air and you sort of jump out and, and then the helicopter disappears and you're up the top of a very steep mountain. That's exactly what happened. Exactly. <laughs> he was looking at me going, this could be a Red Bull video. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and and so, so you were there alone and, and then you just – and how did you know which way you go? Because, I mean, was there a path? No, there's a guide. So um, there's a guide. There was a small group of us. There was five of us in our group, uh, including a guide. Yeah, right. So he would go down for a few hundred metres, uh, probably about 400 metres because they were quite a few kilometres long each run. Um, and you just had to stay in the general vicinity of where he went so that you didn't fall into any crevasses because it's really mountains and avalanche risk and all sorts yeah. of You know, it's, it's extreme. Um, but extremely and extremely fast and extremely uh, on the edge. But gee, wow! I, I am a bit of an adrenaline junkie. That was one day to remember. That's for sure. Would you do it again? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I I don't expect those conditions again. I think that was a that was almost a because it was just such a fresh dump of snow and there was not there was not one cloud in the sky. It was blue skies not one breath of wind it was just unbelievably amazing um but i would definitely do it again yeah 
And the good thing about these type of experiences, they they give you a new perspective on on things, right? Is there any like aha moment for you once you've done that? Once you've finished that big slope, uh, you know, gone down that mountain, that you you, you thought for yourself, "Wow, this was this was incredible," uh, and, and I'm gonna approach you know certain things differently now. Yeah, I'm. I'm. It, that's exactly right, and and it's certainly what I get out of doing things like whether it's you know I've been a skydiver, um, things that I'll push myself outside my comfort zone. I, I the enemy for me is comfort zone because it has so much um, application across all areas of your life. You just think I'm a different person now. You know, I've I've done that. I've survived that that first run. When we got to the bottom of that, I thought, wow. I'm a different snowboarder now. I've leveled up. And certainly at the end of that day, I'm like, okay, now I feel much more confident about being, a, you know, the, the sort of snowboarding that I can do. But not only that, I feel so much more confident that I can do things that are, you know, quite terrifying to me and come out the other end. So um, I, I think it's uh, a very important life experience when you push yourself outside your comfort zone. Mm. And stories like yours and like many other people that, that I've listened to, just seems to confirm this uh, over and over is that really the magic happens outside of that circle of that comfort really got to get outside of the comfort zone every now and then and push yeah. the boundaries push that envelope because uh, it yeah like you said it just opens up your eyes uh, widens up the horizon of the opportunities and the confidence to do so yeah i find um it was certainly as an entrepreneur as as someone who's building this business and I don't expect it to be my last business. Uh, you know, I've certainly got plans for other businesses as well to be run. Um, but to give you that sort of confidence, you need to have, uh, you know, the ability to get outside of your comfort zone and and and, and relish that experience and, and understand that that's going to make you a bigger, better person in the end of the day. Um, I think as you get a bit older, as I am now, um, the opportunities maybe to get outside your comfort zone from a physical perspective are less uh, than, than they were or you have to fight harder to do them. So um, maybe, I'll just, maybe I've done too many things and I need to. <laughs> yeah, and it's certainly you know, a good example now when we're all sort of still dealing with some level of isolation with COVID-19, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What's the hardest thing you've had to deal with um, in the in the current lockdown? Um, all right, so th- this sort of um, the isolation for me is and the lack of travel. I guess um, I'm a, an active person, so I like to um, I, I travel to the Philippines quite a lot, travel to the US um, quite a bit as well. And, um, you know, I've always, uh, and, and to Sydney and to other states of Australia for business um, and, and leisure activities as well. Uh, but, I, but I do like to travel a lot. It's, so being in isolation and not being able to travel was a big hit to me. Um, and then at the same time, I've, I've recently separated from my wife and I'm now in an apartment all by myself. So I don't even have the family that I'm used to having around me. So it was a deep, deep isolation that sort of hit uh, all at the same time. It's been, a, been quite a challenge. So um, uh, it's good to see that things are starting to open up again. Mm, wow. Yeah. No, it must be, must be a tough one uh, uh, with that um, splitting out with a partner, a partner, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> now we are at the end of the episode. Any any uh, words of advice you'd like to give somebody out there listening who is looking to start or or is currently running a business that could probably do better? Um, yeah, I, I, I think you know if we take this sort of back to to where we were trending the conversation. To, to really have that vision and that understanding of what you want to achieve out of the business. And, and if you're at a lifestyle business, I understand um, that you might not have that great big plan to, you know, to grow and to do whatever you need to do. But for those people that really want to make a difference in the world to add value, that they, if they can really just look, um, you know, three to five years in the future and say, well, I, this is what I want to do, because that will then help you work out the steps that you need to do right now. I first heard from Tony Robbins and heard from many other people uh, since that, you know, as people, we always overestimate what we can achieve in a year, but we massively underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. Um, so I think having that, that longer-term vision for your business is really, really important. Uh, and then just look at the things that you need to, play, to put in place, whether it's habits, um, whether it's assistance in things like bookkeeping because you need to make sure that your accounts are always right because you need to sort see that you're trending in the right direction, you know, whether it's getting a, a valuation of your business now so that you can see that all the things that you're doing are having a positive impact. Um, knowing where you're going is the key, key thing, though, I'd say, Dick. Mm. And making sure that throughout that journey, you also invest, uh, you also um, invest in your own, in your own self for for that physical performance. Because without that, you won't be able to achieve none of the business side of things properly. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's just not going. It's not going to sustain you. So. Uh, yep. Uh, well, you know what? You just don't want to end up that um, diabetic with with cancer or with with um, you know other really chronic health conditions that runs a successful business but has no family, no spiritual connection uh, and, and really no health. So, you know, so you got money, you see those guys, they look unhappy and that's not what I want for my life and I, I wouldn't want it for anyone's life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's some really good tools about it as well. I mean, for example, as a bit of a shameless plug, when we at, we at Fit at my fitness business, we do provide you know, um, an exercise programs for individuals they can access from anywhere. And, and the big component of, of our program is habit-based coaching. So we can, we can help you whether it's, you know, uh, increasing your hydration levels, you know, starting to drink more water or whatever habit, you know, it's all based on personal consultation, but something that we provide uh, at our business. Now, this is a <laughs> probably the first time I'm, I'm, I'm plugging this in uh, on this episode but you know it was about a time i mean with 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 the messages the key message here being uh fit and healthy and active um you need to have a vehicle to do that you need some helping hand at the start uh when you don't know how and um why not plug something that i've been you know passionate about doing the last 10 years and and doing successfully so now there's a there's a bit of a shameless plug from me but scott you know i don't think i don't think it's a shameless plug and i think i think you know there's Overall, it comes down to this. There's tons of information out there on the internet. People have got it in, you know, in their phone. They've got 100% access and connectivity to the information they need to do the fitness programs, to change their lifestyle, to develop those habits. But at the end of the day, people don't, and they don't know what's right for them. And they, they you know, the internet isn't tailored to you. So coming to someone like yourself to get that, 
that unique program absolutely the best way to go. And it's, I'd say the same way with us in terms of, you know, you can do your own bookkeeping. There's no dramas with that if you're a small business, small or medium-sized business. Yeah, do your own bookkeeping, sure. But but really, you know, if you can get engaged an expert to help you along the way, then um, your life just becomes so much more focused and easier to deal with. Mm. Yeah, no, you put it well. Thanks for that. And on that note, is there anything that you'd like to offer um, to the listeners that could help them? Is it we get a specific offer or anything like that? Absolutely. But there, there's, um, I've written a book <laughs> um, and it's uh, in e-version e at the moment, um, but we're, we're just putting the final touches on the physical copy. But I'm certainly offering any listeners uh, to your podcast, they can have access to, uh, to that book. Uh, it's called Unfunk Your Business Finances. So if you're a business owner that doesn't quite understand the terminology of accounting, doesn't under quite understand the key reports that, uh, that, that the accounting systems generate and what they mean for you, doesn't quite understand the relationship between different numbers. And, you know, we talked about margin and overheads and break-even points. Or, or really, you know, doesn't understand or, or, or needs a better grip on, you know, what they're doing the business for, how they, you know, how businesses get valued and, you know, what they could get at the end of the day, then I've written this book for those people. So it's a very easy read, or I like to think it's a very easy read. It's full of a, a, a nice little story that goes along with it. Um, and uh, it's called, yeah, Unfunk Your Business Finances and everyone's welcome to a copy. No, that's excellent. And what I like about that, like you said, you, you're, you're using the power of stories to share a, a certain, you know, a person's certain knowledge. Because I think the stories are so, so effective when, when you combine, you know, an information with a story. And also, you know, understanding numbers, it's critical in any business. Every business owner needs to understand their numbers um, because otherwise you can't make those decisions correctly. Well, almost, if, if we put this in fitness terminology, I'd be almost saying, you know, you do measurements. I mean, we don't necessarily like the scales as the sole measurement of, for your fitness, but you know, you've certainly got your weight and you've got your height and you've got the, the body measurements that you do to see that you're tracking your, your progress. And accounting records are exactly the same thing. Those accounting reports, they track your business's fitness, if you like, um, and so that you can have your business the best that it that needs to be. I'm trying to think of a good punchline that covers both now. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's perfect example. Yeah, so uh, let me try. Um, <laughs> anybody listening out there, you got to know your numbers, whether it's your business or your personal fitness. You've got to know your unders and <laughs> Jesus, you've got to know your numbers in order to know where you're going and knowing that you're doing it successfully. Absolutely, couldn't set it better myself. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, Scott, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show and um, I look forward to obviously um, catch up again because there's a lot more questions that you know I've gotten in, in regards to finances and, and accounting and so we can maybe even look at maybe doing another episode. We'll see see what the listeners say. But um, to me, um, it's been a valuable episode of, 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 of <clears throat> great advice um, applicable to yeah, both, business, both business and personal. And sharing those stories, uh, both yourself and myself, I think it's ultimately what helps um, inspire the listeners of this show. And on that note, um, 
it was great to have you on the show. And uh, oh, and um, is there any any questions that you think I should have asked that I didn't? <laughs> um, probably um, no, no. I think I think we covered a, a very broad range. I think we did well. Excellent. Well, Scott, what's your plan for the rest of the day? Uh, cleaning the house and shopping uh, would be would be the the main things that I need to do. Okay. And when you clean your house, is it like a form of meditation for you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got another half an hour. Um, it, you know, to me, it's a, it's the same as making your bed and cleaning the kitchen. It's a form of control so that you, you can control your environment in so little ways, especially with, you know, what's happening with corona and so many things that come at you. If you if you can take the things that you can control, like you know, so so cleaning is definitely a form of meditation for me um, because it's something that I can control. I can I, I, my my own environment. So it's not I'm not a neat freak or a clean freak. It's just that it just it just helps like meditation. And and you could you know you take killing uh, two birds with one stone. Exactly. <laughs> the, the the act of cleaning. I mean, it's a it's a it's a sim- simple simple task. You don't have to think. You just you just focus on, I don't know, vacuuming or whatever it is, right? And it's the same thing goes for, for regular meditation. You're just focusing on the breathing, which gets you declutter your brain. So, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Absolutely, mate. All right. Well, let's finish on that note then. It was great great having you show, on the show, Scott. And um, you have a great rest of your weekend, mate. And I look forward to catching up on the flip side. Thank you, Vid. It's been my absolute pleasure. <laughs>